Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas and Bridget Charters. Hi, Tom. Sitting in for the chef in the chapeau. I know. Boy, those are small shoes to small fill. Small shoes to fill, exactly. <laughs> uh, he is a, t- a small person. A big uh, hat to fill. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you for joining us today for being I'm part excited. of the show. And normally, if you're a regular listener to the Hot Stove Society Radio, you think of Bridget as the most competitive person in the world <laughs> doing tasty trivia and often kicking our butts. So I'm glad you're on this side of the aisle, although I think I still have to face off with She's you. She's still you your do. competitor. Oh, really? You do. No, I'm going to only be so but, nice. You then. know, Annie's no slouch. Luckily, we're going to do the trivia earlier in the show today at the end of the first hour. Is that right, Pam? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we can then be friends after that. Okay, you got it. All right. Uh, Pam is here, our producer. Sean is here. Annie's uh, making breakfast for the our guest here in the studio uh, today. If you want to become a guest, just go to hotstovesociety.com, and the shows are printed. Uh, you have them out there, and the, you actually have when one of the hosts is off, in case like we're short on guests today because Terry was off, and so people didn't want to come to see me. So. That's what? not true. What? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> We have people all the way from Minnesota that want to came nice. to see you. I heard her talking. There's no, doubt. There's no doubt where she's from. Minnesota. Although it could be Fargo, North Dakota, but it's it's close. Uh, Terry is in Morocco on a trip. Is this one of his hosting trips that yes. he does oh. through uh, Star 58 Travel? It is. Good. So I'm sure he's having a ball. He was looking so forward to it. I'm sure everything that he comes and makes when we come when he comes back will be with Harissa. Oh, man, I'm it so jealous. Is. It already is. Exactly. <laughs> he loves Harissa so much. Uh, uh, today's show is going to incorporate many different parts of the world. Of course, Terry for, in Morocco. We have the Taste of Iceland, which is coming up at the Carlisle Room around the or, and around town, October sixth to ninth. And I think we're trying to sell some tickets to that. It's ninety five dollars uh, or one thirty with a drink pairing. And it's all a couple of chefs from Iceland. We're going to have them on the air by Zoom. This is modern technology here. That's great. Peak of the season, delicata squash is going to be here. Perfect. My you know favorite. How to handle. You, is it oh, your favorite? It's one of my favorites. I'm a butternut guy. You know, or like I like acorn squash. Or you know. do you really? Yeah. I'm, uh, Interesting. Delicata. Uh, well, yeah, I like you know, it. Yeah, I like it, but. Uh, no, I'll give you a recipe. But then Jackie grows it. Maybe that's what he needs. Is yeah, I, I need some. It. I need some inspiration. Bridget and I are going to dig into some old school and then more contemporary sauces. You are classically trained. Mm-hmm. I, on the other hand, am not. I appreciate that, and though. So we come at it from different directions. And that's yeah. how Terry and I kind of got this show together, was we were kind of battling all the time on the show because he was an apprentice in France, and I wasn't. And so it's, <laughs> it's just, we come at things a little bit different. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And so you, you uh, spent some time in Europe. You've taught classic cooking for a lot of years. And so let's uh, talk about that within sauces. The New York Times last week, we continue to marvel at the New York Times food section. It is the best in the, that I've ever seen. And so uh, last week, there was a great article on few ingredients. Cooking dinner with just seven or less, I think, was the ingredient total. Simple, easy things to do. We're going to talk about that. Savory powders from Pantry Staples. Um, well, and this, to, to interject on this New York Times thingy, I put it on the counter by my husband's stuff because he's always <laughs> complaining that I'm not teaching him how to cook. And I'm like, oh, dear God, it's been 17 years. You can't tell me. So I put this out. And? 
Did he? He's like, oh, I don't have time. Did he for use that. it for kindling? <laughs> no. So then I put a paperweight on it and put Spencer's name on oh, it. Okay. I'm like, all right, you guys are in charge of dinner. All right. My taste of the week. I had a delicious shashuka down this morning at oh. Lola, which I uh, God, so it good. was so good. Yeah. And I had it um, in my style, which is eliminate the eggs and add sausage. What? Yeah. What? What do you care? They're eggs or sausage. What do you You don't care? like eggs? What's the problem? I prefer sausage. It's oh. the runny egg that brings it all together. Mm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> anyway, it Gotta was delicious. But my taste of the week, you know, we had a spritz of rain on Wednesday, a little bit of cooling. The first thing I did, go to the Ballard Market, bought myself a pot roast, braised Ooh. it uh, with uh, onions, garlic, and shiitake mushrooms. Wow. And some uh, stock that I had from the freezer and just kind of let it go low and slow for two and a half hours. Melt in your mouth deliciousness. It just shiitake, felt no herbs, right? No herbs, of course, herbs, but you know, just those my, the other Yum. ingredients. What'd you serve with it? <laughs> Nothing. I ate it out of the uh, <laughs> ate it out of the pan. I, was, uh, I thought Jackie was coming home from the farm, and I was getting dinner ready for, oh, but it was Wednesday, and, and she wasn't coming home until Thursday. Oh, so, when I'm home alone and I'm cooking, I eat out of the pot. I rarely plate things up for myself. That's right. I saw I cook Jackie. for myself. Yeah. I saw but Jackie I, last night. It was Thursday night. And she came in with those amazing beans. The, the rattlesnake beans? Oh, my God. I yeah. just eat them by the handful out of the bin. Well, is that your taste of the week or what's your taste of the week? Do you have a thought on that? Those darn potatoes she brought. I snuck a bag those home. Those are called Upstate Glorious or something like that. They're like a row seven New York potato. We they're have really to tell people sweet. how to get a hold of them. Oh, my I mean, God. They're not in New York. They're from the New York Seed Company, Row Correct. 7. She grew them at the farm in Prosser. They're kind of a combination between a russet and a waxy potato. Uh-huh. They're not smooth like the waxy, but they've got this rough skin, which I just washed and left on, and I just cut them, and I just quick simmered them. You know what's great about the rough skin is that it actually... Like orchietta or a good dried pasta, it carries the oh. whatever you've got in the pan on the skin then. Right. Yeah. Jacob, who works here, Jacob Foy, he's Scottish, like you. I made the potatoes and I did a colcanon. Mm-hmm. That was my taste of the week. Ah. And it, that's all we had were those potatoes with some butter, a little bit of sour cream, green onions. Did you parsley, mash them up? Just lightly mashed uh-huh. them. It was unreal. And I even got Julie to eat a whole bowl. Wow. I, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> That's like, she, it's, it's a lot a of calories. She's not a, a good eater. Is that why she's bowl. so skinny? That, yeah. yeah. She just doesn't eat much. Well, some people eat a lot when they're, you know, they're skinny, but they eat a lot. That's my friend Angela. Yes. Yeah. I just Disheartening. Hate I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I eat a lot and I'm not skinny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Like little Annie over there. <laughs> Some people just have a better constitution than I do. Annie will sit there. She's what, maybe eighteen and a half pounds, uh, and she just eats fennel all day. It's like how how can she stuffs it's herself like, with that so she doesn't eat the high calorie stuff? I, I can see that, but it, it just doesn't occur to me. I'd rather have shakshuka with sausage. <laughs> a little higher on the calorie spectrum. All right, fine. Okay, Bridget, when we come back, you're going to teach me how to love delicata squash. No problem. Love it. I don't want to just like it. Bang. I love it. We got it. Okay. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Love you most of all. 
we're back in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society. Thank you for joining us. We're in the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, the corner of 4th and Virginia, right above Lola Restaurant. Delicious. Uh, second floor in the Mez. You come up, you'll see a bar at the top of the stairs. Go left. Come right back to the back here. And here we are, all of us having a good time uh, here at the Hot Stove. You did a class last night at the Hot Stove. I did. I'm a little knackered. <laughs> You look fabulous. What country is that term from? I don't know. Knackered. I never heard that before. Uh, I I think it's a Kiwi. I think it's from my my Kiwi sailing buddies. Uh, Knackered. Knackered or Australian, yeah. And you did fall pasta classics, and uh, did everyone behave? Except your friends. Oh, yeah? Did they? What what did they do? No, no. They were great. They were great. Tom had a group with an auction or something yeah right? they bought i gave a package to the hawaii junior golf auction that i was at before covid three years ago you know we're oh. seeing that in our company now we're starting to see all the gift cards come in and all the auction packages that we gave as a company got it uh, people were yeah i saw him with the hawaii hawaii belt yeah. mm-hmm. i was like oh nice nice but Stand no they the- had a they had a ball they're um staying in the hotel here uh-huh. they said it was just amazing and I was like, well, where are you guys going back to? One's couple's going to Saskatchewan? Yeah, but they're going to, to their house in, in Arizona oh, first no after problem. they got done with their house in Hawaii and then on their trip here. So and then must the be other Canadian couple, oil or something. The other guy's an Alaska guy. So, yeah. No, right. he's a restaurateur. He oh, has, no kidding. No, he has 10,000 restaurant seats in his empire. I'm not sure how many, represent, how many restaurants he represents, but he has 10,000 seats. Holy and he's just smokers. opened two, um, what's the kind of Pan-Asian restaurant? Uh, Peking, I don't know. Oh, you mean like Chang, P.F. Yeah, Chang's kind of? Yeah, he's got the franchise rights for Canada for P.F. Chang. Get Chang's. out. Yeah. Wow. And a few others. Very nice, okay, very so nice people. convince me to eat, and not just eat it, I'll eat it, no problem, I like it. I just don't love delicata squash, so convince me how to make it, that's going to turn the corner for me. To crave it when it comes every fall. Okay, you got it. No problem. Okay, so I'll just, I'm making you happy because last night Annie ordered me a bunch of butternut squash. But it wasn't Jackie's honey nut. Did no, she grow that this year? It's, they're just, they're hardening. Yeah, they're coming you know, out. When you yeah. pick them, you got to let them harden in. We let them harden in our, in our barn, our garage barn. Oh, how long do you do that? Uh, two or three weeks. Oh, no kidding. So yeah. that they don't rot yeah. when they, they ship. travel got better, it. yeah. Got it. So, but they yeah. can't be on top of each other. They have to be laid drying, out. Yeah. drying, so the skin firms up. Yeah. Right. So I was saying to the class last night, like with any squash, if you can kind of early now press your nail into the skin, it's they're fresh. They're from this season. Uh-huh. They're delicious. You do that at the grocery. You just put your nails in all the different squashes. <laughs> I do. Shh, shh, don't tell any Tom. Oh boy. They're going to call me out at Town and Country Market. <laughs> yeah, they are. Anyway, I just, I mean, you can kind of tell and you can see by the top. It's kind of like when you get pumpkins at Halloween, you want to look for the ones that have the darker stem. Otherwise, your pumpkin's going to rot. Mm-hmm. So you want to get those darker stems. Anyway. Uh, Which the, means they're fresher. Correct. Yeah, if they haven't fresh, dried out yet. Yeah. yeah. And so then when you go to carve them, they'll rot faster. But if they've got that dark, dried stem, you know, they've hardened off so with the delicata squash i mean i've grown them in years past i didn't this year but delicata are those oval longer skinnier squash and later in the season i'll take a peeler and pull a little bit of the skin off 
Now, because it's got a ruffle all the way around, right? So right, when and you peel very, it, you don't want to get into that little crevice. Correct. They're yeah. just too hard to peel, and so when you're when you get them at the store, skin and all, super delicious, very good for you, highly nutritious. And so what one method, my friend Kim Smith taught me this, is you take the delicata squash, just trim the ends off, cut it in half. Lengthwise. Lengthwise. Pull the seeds out, and then you cut them into three-inch lengths. So the chunk, you've cut yeah. this delicata mm-hmm. that's nine inches in length. Cut it into two chunks. You know, they've been cut in half, so you've got six pieces. And you're going to cut little sticks. Mm-hmm. Little kind of batons, little, like Terry would say, baton. Uh, You cut little sticks that are about the size of your finger, and then you heat a saute pan, add a little bit of, add a a fair amount of olive oil, and you add sliced garlic and leaves of sage, leaves of fresh sage out of your garden, please, and then a little bit of salt and pepper. And the minute the garlic starts to color, don't want it to get too dark, throw all the squash in, Mm -hmm. just raw like that. And just toss, 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 But you toss. can't be on too high a heat or that garlic will continue to burn. Correct. Yeah. So then you kind of, that's going to, throwing the squash in kind of slows the temperature down. And then just keep an eye on that, that garlic and then just turn the heat down and let them simmer in that oil bath. And they soften up and they get so And this delicious. time, because you're early in the season, you just leave the skin on. You don't have to skin peel Skin on. It's so delicious. If you're eating delicious. them at the end of November, December, you got to peel them a little bit. And I like them a little bit firm, but you can let them cook and cook and cook so that they get kind of mushy. And if I have leftovers, which generally we don't, Mm -hmm. but if I have leftovers the next day, I'll cook up a little rigatoni or penne and use that as my sauce. Mm -hmm. Delicious. It's so good. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we do here at the Hot Stove Society, Tom, and we use your veggie rub. Wow. Do we get bonus points? Certainly. Okay. So you cut the ends off, cut it in half again. So you've got those two long halves are all kind of roughly and beautiful. Leave the skin on, and then you lay them down on the table, cut side down, and you cut them into little quarter-inch pieces, mm-hmm. half moons. And then you toss them in a bowl with a little bit of olive oil and a generous portion of Tom Douglas's veggie rub, mm-hmm. inspired from Pam. Mm-hmm. And you just toss them, get them well coated, a little bit of salt, and into a 400-degree oven, and you roast them for 10, 12 minutes? Yeah, they're actually done before you want to pull them out, right? You want to roast them till they're soft, but then you want to take them till they're firm again, right? Till they're dehydrated. You and, want them to dehydrate and color a little right, bit. and caramelize. So that they caramelize. So don't Just like over- broccoli or cauliflower or right. anything like that. Yeah, don't overcrowd the pan. And like when we do it for guests here in the, in the winter months... We'll put a pan in the back for crew, and that's kind of our chef snack. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Plenty of olive oil. You know, it's almost like you're deep frying on a cookie sheet. You and I were talking about the whole weight thing. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of olive oil. Pamela's got a, a de- delicata. Well, I, uh, Chinese 12 spice uh-huh. for oh. that ro- same roasting technique because it's got that sweet and salty. Oh. So I did that for a curry last night. and. You know, prep the delicata separately, roasted it with a Chinese 12 spice, and then into a vegetable curry oh. with the leftover green beans, which were spectacular, and mushrooms, and zing. 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 So and, and, and like roast pork or something? 
Those <laughs> Douglas. Oh, I totally. I, I was waiting I for love that. My vegetables. I was just torturing Pamela. <laughs> that was a vegetarian dinner, right, Pamela? I love yeah. my vegetables. You do. Um, that sounds delicious. And uh, you guys never mentioned once kind of taking those oblong halves, right? And now that you've scooped the seeds and the and the kind of spaghetti squash version of it out of there, you can stuff it with anything. Sausage. Roast it. Yeah. Sausage. Roast it, whole, roast it on a whole half like that. And it's, yeah. it makes a pretty presentation at the table to, to cut up just like a roast. So you can make a mushroom force meat. You can make a sausage force meat. You can do all sorts of things in there that would be delicious. Well, I saw a breakfast application where they you cut the delicata and make rings. Leave the yeah. seeds, leave it all in, uh-huh. just cut big, thick, one-inch thick rings and roast those. Uh-huh. And toward the end of the cooking, crack an egg in there. Oh. Maybe Lola could really? do that. Yeah, sounds delicious, sort of. Um, <laughs> I could now we're going to go into this New York Times article that we were all enamored with. And Pam, I want you to lead us through that uh, in the next segment because you are the queen of the New York Times food section. You read it more than anybody. So. Yep. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I use the herbs more than on a reason. I use the herbs you won't ever see. We're back. It's the Hot Stove Show on Cairo Radio. We have an audience that's just getting... Uh, their quiche and uh, looks like some sliced plums or peaches uh, on this plums and nectarines uh, so uh, Annie has made quiche she has proclaimed it the best quiche, quiche in history because uh, that's how she <laughs> thinks of her cooking and I, I, I'm not one to disagree with her so there you go Annie's, a, Annie's got game with her yeah. cooking I gotta say uh, Pamela, you brought us the article here. It's not just an article. Jeez, it's almost like a book in the center of the New York Times food section. And it's all about ingredients or fewer. And with the idea being that I think the biggest amount of ingredients for one of these recipes was seven. But simple cooking, but still delicious and um, ethnically diverse. So what, what drew you to this? I'm all, um, I don't cook as much as you two, but I cook a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm running out of ideas. My playbook is repetitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I've but written I, four cookbooks. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got an excellent pantry with tons of condiments. So what I loved about this article was, okay, so you've got chicken breasts or mushrooms or something again. But what's another take on it mm-hmm. uh, and I want it some nights it just has to be fast you know I want something I can make that's super delicious in under half an hour mm-hmm. so the things that caught my eye um, were the sheet pan because Melissa Clark has been doing so much with that uh, sheet pan dinners but she right. had that mushroom parmesan but just elevated it with her panko and basil and uh, a high roast, and then the version... A high roast meaning a high temp. High temp, yeah. yep. And then the other one was the carrot tart. Annie's been playing with that oh, a lot here. that is good, yeah. Um, but this, her, the one in this recipe was had some feta in it, and I'm just crazy for feta. So rainbow carrots, puff pastry, ricotta, feta blend... 
with the important tip of roasting vegetables first separately, any of the root vegetables, so you didn't add too much moisture mm-hmm. to the mix. And then, contrary to what I just said, there's a long uh, recipe in there for roasting some pork shoulder that looks spectacular. Mm-hmm. The Puerto Rican take the, on with it. the orange, yeah, the yeah, orange, nice, yeah. So it just, I, I, I did the same thing. I put the whole thing on the counter to maybe help me organize my shopping and have some new flavors. Mm-hmm. So are you cooking through it? Are you going to do yeah. each one? Good yeah, for you. Absolutely. That's awesome. You know, you talk about feta. I love feta too. Uh, the the little um, salmon lintz that I brought to yes. your house for your birthday. Uh, that was a half feta, half cream cheese mix. In the uh-huh. side. Adding feta to things is really, like I, I'm not a big fan of ricotta. To me, it's just too bland. It's too soft. But feta with that salt brine if you maybe did half and half or if you just went with feta instead of ricotta, I, I love, I like that cheese a lot. So. You know, Tom, and I'm it's sorry. Sheep's milk instead of cow's milk, so it naturally has a little more flavor. So. Correct. And traditionally, feta, I mean, it's made with cow's milk in Italy, but it's also quite frequently made with sheep's milk. Yeah, and goat too, yeah. And it's incredibly flavorful. This, The bland stuff that we get in the States... Even that, those Italian versions, mm-hmm. I agree. They're yeah. bland. Look for look right on the label, uh, and it will tell you sheep or cow or goat or a combination. Or uh, How much of that flavor profile in feta is salt, do you think? Because salt makes everything like jump a little bit more. Yeah. But, but you know, ricotta has salt in it, too. So You have a really high-quality brand of feta downstairs mm-hmm. at Lola. That makes all... You get those little tubs of pre-ground feta. It's just like the nasty ricotta that you yeah. get at the store. Yeah. So it's all about, like, what do they buy? What do... What do our listeners buy when they go buy feta, Tom? Well, they should go buy sheep's milk feta from Greece or Tur- Turkey it. or whatever. So let's, let's, move, let's okay. move out of that. And I will say the one thing about the ones that we have downstairs... It used to come when we first opened in oak barrels. Oak eight. Get out. Yeah. We had to take a hatchet to them and open that, that barrel up. No yeah. way. That's exactly. cool. Uh, so this pernil, Pam, caught my eye. I love I know. I want I you love to make it for pork me. Butt. Yeah, you think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would do this. And it's a, it's a very simple recipe in the New York Times uh, scenario. And it sounds classic from mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. Uh, so it's just kind of braised with cloves and garlic. The trick on this one is that it's got the skin on still, and you That's just never see that in your grocery store. If you want this, you have to go to Wajamaya, or you have to go down into the International District Grocery, Vietwa, something like that. Or to or to Pam's boyfriend's store. <laughs> well, yeah, he might have pork butt with skin on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And the sad part about this, in this recipe, when I read through it, was that when you pull it out and you go to serve it, they pull the skin off and don't serve it. <gasps> So, like, who does that? That is a mess. Why would you go to all that trouble of getting it perfect? Well, because they. Well, I think it freaks people out. Yeah, it freaks people out. Like eating some animal skin. Yeah. So, anyway. When you put it that uh, way. Sorry. If you get your roast and you do it with the skin on and it doesn't quite get there, you can finish it with a torch and kind of blister the skin. With a torch or under the broiler, either way. I think under the broiler. I yeah. don't like the taste of the torch yeah, on my gassy. food. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but that's a great idea to just. So, do you just open the pot and just put the pot under, or you pull it out, let it rest, and put the the whole roast under, so that it doesn't overcook? It's just the skin. Oh, you're, that's you're a good kind idea. Of taking the top of it. 
Uh, the other one, Pam, that uh, struck me that you would like is the ranch chicken. And, <laughs> you know, it says here Greek yogurt, mayonnaise, chives. You know, they're literally making ranch dressing yeah, to put on the chicken. So the easier version of that would be buy ranch dressing <laughs> and just do it. No, but it's, it's, it's good when you're making your homemade ranch to add the homemade herbs to it. So. Yes. Oh. Bridget, did any of these recipes speak to you? The one on the cover, the sheep pan mushroom parmigiana. Uh-huh. Is my husband hates mushrooms, but he does like eggplant. So I would do that with eggplant, not mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That exact same thing. My husband's trying to eat vegetarian because his cardiologist told him to. And he's like, and I mean, he's like Sean, tall, skinny guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No weight. He weighs 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. He sucks. We hate him. <laughs> so I love that. And then I did also love the pork. And then... Um, Lemony roast fish. Uh-huh. I love that. So here in the Northwest, you don't have to go buy $34 a pound halibut or salmon, but you could get some nice coho right now. You could get some nice sockeye that's maybe $12 Not a even. It's so it's even inexpensive lesser. Right Yeah. Now. But now what I do is I go to the fish market next to a boyfriend's butcher shop, and I get rockfish, mm-hmm. or I get... I get soul and it's five ninety nine a pound. We're all watching our pennies these days. And so you can take the sole and just take the whole filet, fold it in half, and do this application of capers, lemon juice, olive oil. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. So easy. And so that's I do because it's again that sheet pan concept. Build it, turn the oven on, and in you go. Four hundred degrees, bang, it's done. Or what broil. I love broiling. Oh, broiling. broiling That's what so they the did color. here. Because you can, you the can see the color on the lemons. But uh, it's something that people, I mean, when you think about cookbooks sometimes and or like articles like this, it's nice to have a picture with everything. If, when you look this up online, you can. I'm sure you can download this online. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Even better online. The pictures are good because it gives you some ideas about how to finish the preparation. So this is obviously broiled. The lemons are caramelized. And that is a whole different flavor than if you were to... Uh, pan fry or uh, just bake your fish. Getting some of that caramelization involved right. is really right. It's really so important. delicious, and it's nice that caramelization is nice with capers too. I mean, every, who doesn't love capers? Uh, I uh, think a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, another thing I liked about this article was uh, you know they're saying seven ingredients or less, and then they say one of the ingredients is use a good pie crust. <laughs> <laughs> which is it's funny how four. we cheat, cheat on some of these things it's like yeah pie crust itself is yeah five ingredients so how long um, can pie crust live in the refrigerator a couple of days really? two three days well it, it goes so- gray i mean unless it, it, it's it'll last a long time but it goes gray okay. but yeah because the on a traditional pot brise versus a pot it's the short crust versus a flaky crust is what i'm trying to say right so a short crust has, it's called a short crust because there's so much butter in there and it's very well blended. It's almost like a cookie and you don't have the long strands. But the other one, what happens is there's not a lot of moisture. And so if you leave it in, it gets, as the Italians say, puzza. Ooh. It gets stinky. Yeah, that doesn't sound what, like what It doesn't what you taste want. bad. No, once no. you bake it, it's fine. Yeah. But, you know, if you have the short crust, crust which makes a delicious... Annie did a flaky here, but a short crust makes a delicious crust. And because of the fat content, it'll keep in the fridge practically a month. But the idea is you put it in the freezer. 
both of those crusts can go in the freezer, and it's better than sitting in the fridge. It's just one of those things that I would like to have at the ready. But it, when I make a double batch of crust and I put the other one in the refrigerator, it's like it turns that color. And yeah. it's like, oh, do I have to throw it out? No, no if you just, put it in the freezer, it would have been fine. Yeah, but if you, when you put it in the freezer, make a disc that's only an inch in height. So it thaws well, and you can start and you working can start it. Working you immediately it. start rolling it yeah. out. Right. Not immediately, but Not, yeah. yeah. So you pull it from the freezer. And let it, uh, let it temper for about... 20 well, minutes. she can decide yeah. in the morning. All right, here we go. It's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Uh-oh. right here. Are we going to invite Annie up and uh, yes. take, take Annie down? Okay, good. On Cairo Radio, <laughs> it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Look, she's shooting daggers at us. What's new? <laughs> Mac and cheese, macaroni and cheese. Please, baby, please. Let's turn it up 400 degrees. All right, we're back in the hot stove kitchen. It's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. We make them ourselves right out there in Ballard. Uh, and it's uh, we've got 20 different flavors now, four tangy sauces, and a spectacular toasted shallot mustard. They're great additions to your pantry, and Rub with Love can be found locally in grocery stores like the Thriftway or Metropolitan Markets, PCC, as well as uh, shops all around the country, Old Timey Meat Market with three, three locations, in South Carolina. Amazing. And Gibbs Butcher Block in Columbia Station, Ohio. I uh, hope South Carolina, our store there, doesn't get hit by the storm. Yeah, no kidding. Ooh. I know. That's a little shout out to our friends in Florida. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, we were worried there. It's a tough. Well, you should be. Have you seen the residuals of. Oh, uh, man. Of, uh, yeah, of Southern Florida? South During Coast? COVID, we were going to go to Sanibel Island at Christmas because we couldn't really get anywhere else. Hawaii was closed. We have our annual trip. So we booked Sanibel Island, and they had a big COVID outbreak, so we didn't go. Yeah, there you go. All right, Pamela, tell us how to play the game. And uh, we're going to welcome Chef Annie here from the hot stove in as our uh, arch rival. And uh, so it's between Annie and Bridget and myself. Each of the three contestants are going to get five amazing questions, culinary questions. And then the winner is going to present today's prize to our beautiful visitors from Minnesota, which is going to be three pack of Rub with Love Spices. You'll do the honor of presenting, and the losers will just be losers, (laughs) as Annie likes to say. In, in all of the dumpling classes she teaches, she humiliates them. So, all right, we're starting with Bridget. Her mouth is full. Number one, what is the name of the South Indian pancake that is crispy on the surface but slightly spongy on the inside with a slight sour taste? Dosa. Correct. Number two, what is the main ingredient in the hot marinade poured over fried fish in the dish of escabeche? The mojo. It's vinegar. Yes. You're on a roll. Fenugreek seeds form the base of which very popular type of spice blend? So much so that this, uh, that this spice is what people smell and they think it's what uh, defines the spice blend. Well, it's either Ras El Hanu or Bahrat. Those are more sophisticated answers than I was anticipated. Both correct. I was looking for curry. Oh, okay. But you took it to the next level. 
Are you sure that there's Fenna Geek in any of those? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Hey. <laughs> hey, Tom. Well, I know how Pam rolls. In this. <laughs> so she did not oh, get you the think answer. She's being That's biased what you say. Because we're women. <laughs> but we're giving it to her because she took it up a level. What? Uh huh. What is the main ingredient in the small fritters called hush puppies? Cornmeal. Yeah. And finally, to get all five right, what are the two traditional spices in the Italian cotechino sausage? Uh, it's fennel and I want to say black pepper. Mm, my Oxford food companion reference <laughs> said nutmeg and cloves. That's what I That's what I. No way. No, fennel seed is in there. I bet there would be fennel too. Four out of five. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Annie Elmore, yes. which parts of the nasturtium plant are edible? Flowers and the leaves. Exactly. Name two popular shapes of rice noodles. Thick and thin. <laughs> Wrong. Pretty, pretty close. Wide and, and thin. <laughs> close, close. Uh, and true, but I was looking for uh, vermicelli and rice sticks. I think that's a loss. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a no-go there. That's, that's a no-go. No okay. And you're I Asian? I think that question it's is a very tricky question ver- right now. No, no, no. It's stick. Okay, it's vermicelli. What's next? It's vermicelli. Yeah. Uh, describe the dish shabu shabu. Uh, it's a Japanese hot pot. Correct. True or false? Sweet potatoes are part of the Morning Glory family. Uh, false. It's true. True. What? <laughs> yep. Ooh, loser. Uh, <sighs> and finally, what is natto? N a t o. N a t t o. Smelly. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the soybean fermented soybean, that's... You got it. Yeah. Steamed, fermented, and mashed with a glutinous texture used as a condiment. Oh. Yes. So stinky. I I have never... I couldn't couldn't do that. Sorry. I can do fish sauce all day. I can do anchovies. I tried every single time. I couldn't do it. Even mixed into some yummy rice. No? Mm, Okay. Do you love it, Pam? I wouldn't say love. I would I find that but, hard to believe. But uh, I can eat it. Yeah, okay. It's very nutritious, though. I know. That's it's, why I got it. It's tr- easy to be adventurous on the radio, Tom. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring some to her house next time I get over. We're going to see how much she loves it. <laughs> All right, Mr. Douglas. What country serves Ribolita, and what is it? Oh, the Italians love it, and uh, it is a, can be widely varying in, uh, in uh, texture, but uh, typically it's a Tuscan bean and kale soup with some bread thickener. Exactly. What is the name for Korean barbecued beef? Bulgaki. Two for two. What is the name of the Egyptian spice blend traditionally comprised of nuts, seeds, coriander, cumin, uh, and sesame? Zatar. Duca. Duca. Oh. Ah. Oh. <laughs> what is number four? What is the world's most distinguished orange-flavored liqueur? The world's? Mm-hmm. Distinguished. every country would feel strongly about their distinguished. own. Distinguished. No, it's distinguished. So what's the best seller? Distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> There's some cool ones that are more boutique but like Orange Curacao, things like that. Uh, so it's either, t- in my mind, between Cointreau and Grand Marnier, so I'm going to go with Grand Marnier. 
Cointreau. Ah. What? Uh, and finally, please describe gefilte fish. Yuck. And do you eat it? <laughs> no. Tell us what it is. It's a gelatinous kind of stewed fish and often found in jars, and it's very popular for Jewish holidays. Although, I don't know if it's more than one holiday. Is it one particular holiday that gefilte fish is eaten? Usually it's the one. Just, I think it's the Passover. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a gelatinous kind of fish. Not quite as bad as lutefisk. But very similar. But Ground aren't th- white fish mixed with eggs and matzo meal formed into balls or patties and simmered in stock. Yeah. Doesn't exactly sound, what I said. I said, well yuck. <laughs> the reigning champion, Bridget Okay, all right. Nice job, nice job. All right. You got a couple of sore losers staring at you right now. <laughs> but In our second hour, we've got seasoning powders from Pantry Staples, traditional and modern sauces, and two chefs from the fabulous evening coming up, Taste of Iceland, October 6th through 9th at the Carlisle Room. Hang with us on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Woohoo! Welcome back. And did you know that many of your everyday ingredients can be dried into powders to intensify their punch for instant depth of flavor? Why not try uh, this with capers or miso or scallions or whatever? We're going to talk about that. Right now here at the Hot Stove Society Show, I'm Tom Douglas. Yay, Bridget Charters. And uh, Bridget Charters sitting in for Chef Terry, who's in Morocco. So jealous. Leading a little food tour over there. Good for him. He loves it there. Uh, I hope he's having a ball, he and Kathy. Uh, So, yeah. So, Pam, this one struck me in a funny way, as uh, you and I I talked about. I know, you're not believing it. No, no, no. It's not that I don't believe it. I liked your explanation, though, for why it might be interesting. So... I keep capers. Like this whole article is about how to kind of dry out pantry staples uh, that uh, you could then use in maybe a different way. And you explained to me that, like I said, well, I just always keep capers. And you explained to me what? That when you dry them and turn them into a powder, I think you get a different impact on the dish. It incorporates more fully. So, like what you're using a caper as a perfect example. If you just had the little seed or berry. It's a bud. 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 If you just had the little bud, you would get like one bite of it on your fish. But if you had the caper powder that you used in your dressing over the whole fish, you would get that caperness in every bite. Right. Um, And I got onto this because I started using the red boat salt more often uh, than their fish sauce, their wet version. Because it, I think it just more fully affects the dish. So I, I love capers. Uh-huh. I haven't tried that yet, but miso was the other one that really captured my attention. Oh, that's so interesting. Miso, is, in funny way, is the one that I, I don't understand the most because it's already a paste. And if you mix it into a soup, you mix it into a soup, right? So I guess the other question would be, how would you use or why would you use the powdered version uh, instead of the wet version of miso. So mm. I could see it in a spice rub or something like that where it, 
it would bring some of that umami kind of character to a spice rub. You wouldn't really know what it is that you're eating, but you're eating fermented soybeans, essentially, in miso. So uh, the red boat salt, the essence of umami. I've seen this all over the place now, and I know you got yours at Chef Shop, but it's at the regular grocery stores now, now, too. Yeah. Uh, and the ingredients are, you know, fish sauce is basically salted anchovies. Yes. The salt, right? And it's it, the salt kind of eats at the anchovies and they become syrup, essentially. Uh, so in this package, the ingredients are anchovies and sea salt. I'm surprised on the front where it says sea, red boat salt. It's really anchovies. Anchovies. I'm surprised they don't have to say anchovies, anchovies salt, salt. which would kill the sales of. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but you still get that same cool, great thing where on fish sauce where it kind of stinks. But when you have it on the food, it's, it's like a great blue cheese, right? It just is a wonderful addition. It, it's a game changer. Yeah. And Annie was just looking at the package and said um, that the reason that fish sauce and now the salt gets so much more attention is because it's from the most desirable island where the anchovies oh. are harvested. And when you land there, the whole place smells like fish sauce. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Is that... It just stinks, yeah. <laughs> so don't book a hotel there. Just go for lunch. Go for snorkeling. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I liked about this article, this is in um, Fine Cooking. Is that the name of this magazine? Cooks, Cooks, Cooks Illustrated. Illustrated. Is the one on the green onion side of this. Yeah. That's and I think that oftentimes you end up in your, in your fridge with like a half a bunch of green onions that you didn't end up using. And this is a simple way to just put them on. Um, this one calls for just drying them out in the microwave, but you could also throw them in the oven, just let them dehydrate in, in the oven and then make a powder and you don't waste them. I like that. And I do the same thing. Like when you got, or you bought too many onions or it always happens. Jackie and I go to the grocery store separately. We both come back with the same ingredients, double what we need. So then (laughs) just, if you're making browned onions and something, you just make them all and you freeze the extra browned onions. And it's a great place to start when you're having a quick supper. Oh, that's you mean your caramelized onions. Yeah. Just put them in a little preservation wise. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You, you have a big stand up Trollson freezer, don't you? I have two. <laughs> yeah, I have a sub zero forty eight inch in my garage. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but this article um, I, I, it led me to uh, thinking about why you created your dry mushroom powder because the classic that everybody probably has is shiitakes, some some sort of dried mushroom in their cupboard that they oh. you know could use to beef up some flavor or porcini, but. Traditionally, yeah. I think it's more often porcini. Um, well, the Italian, the, the, the Asian market is all about dried shiitake. Should, yeah. yeah. So uh, when you were thinking about your pulverizing mushrooms for the rub, mm-hmm. what, what were you trying to get at? Well, I was trying to get that essence. So we use porcini in the exotic mushroom rub and trying to get that essence of that flavor without it being truffles, you know, something unaffordable. Uh, although I will tell you, porcini is getting less and less affordable. But uh, you can do the same with shiitakes or mushrooms. You can preserve your own, right? Dry your own and then pulverize them into a powder and use them in a mushroom rub. You know me, our mushroom rub, I use as a gravy helper. And so it's it's got lots of, um, you know, mild chili or like uh, herbs de Provence, the dried mushrooms. And God, when you're making turkey gravy at Christmas time or beef gravy, at, um, you know, just throwing a couple of tablespoons of the mushroom rub into your 
uh, browned onion gravy, and it, it just changes the dynamic. And you can do the same with your own dried mushrooms. Would you consider splitting half of that mushroom rub with dry shiitakes? Yeah, yeah of course. Well, I love the woodsy flavor of shiitake. That's my second favorite mushroom. Oh, okay. Uh, I just love them. And, you know, the dried shiitakes that you see in the Asian markets all right. the time are more than just a preservation me- method. It's a texture that is often adored in Asian cooking is that kind right. of gelatinous quality when you rehydrate a dried shiitake. That toothsome quality, yeah. which porcinis do not have. They do not get. They yeah. get mushy if yeah. you... Oh, but that's why you see so many dried shiitakes in the Asian markets is that it's, it's, that's a texture thing that they that is a, uh, revered. Right, right. When you um, powder your scallions, what are you going to use it on? Well, you know, again, we had that little, like, well, why don't you just use capers? But I can see where you, you know how you use basil to make a pesto, and you could do the same thing with a scallion pesto, or you could powder them up, like if you're going to sear a scallop and put your, you, you don't want to, Cook it long enough to have brown onions on it. But if you put a scallion powder on your scallop, Ooh. it'll sear and brown just as fast as... That's what we're talking about. I'd put them on eggs. Eggs, that's great. I would fry eggs and put that green onion powder on eggs and then put it on some steamed rice for brekkie. Mm-hmm. Ooh. She's sounding very British today. Yeah. Now we're having brekkie. What was the other thing you said that I was like... <laughs> knackered. Knackered. <laughs> I would get knackered if I ate that for breakfast. <laughs> Coming up, getting saucy. Old style versus new style or classic versus contemporary. However you want to think about it. On Cairo, it's Bridget and Tom going toe-to-toe at the Hot Stove Society, 97.3 FM. Awesome. It's uh, classic versus contemporary time here in the hot stove kitchen. I'm up uh, standing right here with Bridget Charters, one of the chef instructors here at the hot stove, who's sitting in for Mr. Chef in the Chapeau today. And Bridget, uh, you and I have very different backgrounds about... uh, Correct. Will you explain to people kind of how you learned how to cook and and, uh, where you've traveled and all that sort of thing? Classically, I worked in restaurants when I was in college because my dad got pissed at me because I couldn't balance a checkbook. So he said, that's it. You're cut off. So I got a job and I started cooking in restaurants. So not because classically. you couldn't balance a checkbook, you got cut off from a multi-billion dollar estate? Oh, it wasn't multi-million dollar. Okay. But anyway, so I ended up in culinary school in San Francisco and there it was French classics. That's what we were taught. And that's, that was the, the norm. It the was, order of the day. Yeah, yes. Escoffier and that whole concept, kind of based on the CIA New York. Uh, and um, I trained with those Frenchies and then trained with a classical Sicilian chef, Carlo Medioni. Mm-hmm. RIP, just passed away two days ago. Oh, did he? Yeah. Uh, he had that great deli in San Francisco. Oh, my God, yeah. amazing place. Yeah, and so uh, Carlo used a lot of the classics. But kind of more like Marcella Hazan, the tomato, the bechamel. But we also made demi. We made, yeah, we made those sauces, those classical sauces, those are five mother sauces. Right. And I so then, even in your travels in Italy, uh, you you had to deal with and make those, right? Zabayon and hollandaise and demi glace and and my background is a bit opposite of that. I was uh, I'm seat of the pants kind of trained. 
went to work in the Hotel DuPont where I could have gotten classically trained and did right. on some things like Hollandaise and Mornay and all that kind of thing that you made for the in big batches for the for the hotel. Right. Uh, and, and then out here, when I came out here at 18, I just worked in restaurants. And so you just pick up this and that. And, but you, you came know, You can here. make Alfredo sauce and think you're a pretty damn fine cook. So right. <laughs> reduced cream. Right. But you came to Seattle specifically, and that was the headwaters know. of Pan-Asian cuisine. But I will, not tell Hawaii. You, I will tell you, I did not know that, nor was it all that prevalent when I got here. Really? No, I was. That was part of me. Being oh, interesting. Loving Asian cuisine, don't you think, Pamela? You were here. That was. But Cafe Sport was pre you, right? No, I was Cafe Sport. I was the opening chef at Cafe Sport. Were you really? I yeah. didn't know that. Jeez, History so lesson. My goodness. Wow. Anyway, so I always I, I eschewed stocks and things like that. I hated re- stock reductions. I was much more a fan of. Uh, quick little like, pureed fruits or salsas or things like that. If I right. did a roast pork, it was always with roasted apricot or jalapeno and roasted apricot. Or nice. It was never heavy sauces, which is funny because today I consider myself a gravy god. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's and, which Velute. is a very much a, very much a rude sauce in a funny way. So rude, uh, R U D E or uh, no, R U O X. Rude, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure it can be a verb like that. Point being, I do have both of those in my background now, and let's talk about a classic sauce, and then maybe how I would take it on as a. Uh, a more modernized version. So let's start with bechamel. Okay. So how do you make a classic bechamel? So to make a really beautiful bechamel, what's key, and Tom mentioned it, is roux, and that's the combination of, you know, you go down, it's a combination of flour and fat. If you go to Louisiana, the fat is lard, the fat is oil, the fat is not necessarily butter but in some of the fancier restaurants they use butter because of that big french influence down there when you're making a bechamel a la french uh, you're using clarified butter and cooking the roux because it gets to a higher smoking point and you're browning that roux slightly and then working in some nice milk and then that's being seasoned with classically bay leaves a bit of white pepper salt and uh, a bit of nutmeg. I always had a clove-studded onion in my... Uh, an onion piquet, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure, in the classical. And either it's done, or you do a bag of spices, that sachet de piece. Mm-hmm. And then it's typically cooked slowly on the stove for hours. Uh, Carlo Midioni taught me to just put the darn pot in the oven. Hmm. And then you don't have to worry about the heat from the bottom and potential scorching. You just cook it all over. And then strain it. Silky, elegant, not necessarily flowery. Mm-hmm. Flowery. Flowery as in the... The, the, the flower didn't the develop yeah, in the yeah, cooking yeah. process. You rushed it. You cooked it too fast. You didn't properly incorporate the liquid. I get caught up in those old wives' tales about that because when you think about that, how long it takes to cook out the flour, and then you look at a quick little pan sauce like the piccata you talked about, or if you look at gnocchi, which is 50% flour, and you cook it for one minute or two minutes. Right. Uh, so, something's wrong in the mix about having to cook flour to its to a certain doneness. In, in my, Hydration, right. Yeah. right. Uh, so I always liked the more 
Brown Ruse out of Louisiana better yeah. that uh, our friends uh, K Paul and God amazing uh, and all and Emerald and all those guys were hot on and were such a big deal uh, back in the late seventies early eighties yeah uh, but for bechamel there's pretty there's no other real way to make it without the roux unless you just are doing reduced cream. Correct. Right. So that's like that's, what, you, like you said, an Alfredo. Yeah. Next classic sauce. That, but how would you sub? What would you sub if you were going to do not do? A I bechamel. would do just reduced cream with cheese in it. So that's the, my thickener. Got like it. if I'm using it, say to make lasagna, uh-huh. I just make a much thinner lasagna. I don't have that thick bechamel layer in my lasagna. Got it. it it's not necessary. Moussaka, the same thing, right? Where it has a big bechamel layer in it. Oh, you don't do that. No, I just make a, a thinner. That sounds good. You can also thicken it with egg yolks. You just have to take it off the heat. And then make a liaison and then tighten it back up. Got it. So for uh, another one that we're like hollandaise. On here it says Espanol hollandaise. I don't even know what that is. No, Espanol is. Oh, comma hollandaise. Espanol is the basis. So again. Espanol is just a red sauce, right? No. Espanol is that brown sauce. So when you make roux, you're making a bechamel, you're making a velouté. So the white roux is bechamel, the blonde roux is velouté, and the dark roux goes into a espanol, which is then the basis of that classic sauce demi-glace. And espanol, you make it just like a bechamel. An espanol is made just like a bechamel, except you're adding what kind of stock, Tom? Tasty trivia. On espanol? Yeah. Brown stock. Correct. Yeah. A beautiful brown veal stock. Mm-hmm. Then as you add your sequential additions of that brown veal stock, it becomes a demi-glace, mm-hmm. a half-glace. Rather than what Tom would do is reduce that veal stock. Without any sort of... Correct. Thickener. Thickener, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's more economical. The other way. Correct. Yeah, or French. a lot of people, you see in a lot of restaurants, they use cornstarch, and it's just this shiny Slurry. mess. Slurry. <laughs> and in, in Chinatown, literally, when you get egg foo young or almond chicken or something like that, it's water, soy sauce, and cornstarch. <laughs> thickened up. <laughs> yeah, thickened up. Pam, who was the author we had on last week that talked about having, like, five, it was the uh, dessert book, I think, or where you, she had learned the classics and then just learn how to then grow from there, change them to the seasons, Alexandra, yeah. Rapisano. No, it doesn't pertain anymore. It, it kind of does. In some, she was doing French, classic French baking, and baking is a little bit more scientific and technical where right. you have to kind of understand the process mm-hmm. other than, rather than throwing in brown stock into a sauce. I do think that there is some room to learn some of that, how roux works, and then take it in different directions uh, as, you, as you want. All right, uh, next up, Taste of Iceland returns to Seattle. It's a unique celebration of Icelandic culture through food and music and art. And one of these days on my way to Glasgow, which I go to a couple times a year. You're going to stop. I'm going to do that layover thing with Iceland Air. They let you stay a couple of nights in Reykjavik yeah. or in, in Iceland and, yeah. and get back on the plane with no extra charge. So Sounds amazing. One of these days. I just haven't done it, but we've done this Taste of Iceland for years. So looking forward to doing that. We're going to Zoom with them when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Awesome. Wow, that's amazing. I'll be banging on the pans in the kitchen. So mama, don't be trying to hide it.
Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Coming down to it here on this beautiful day. We are going to jump all the way over to Iceland. Bridget, have you ever flown Iceland Air through Reykjavik? I'm going on Tuesday. Nice. Can you hook nice. me up? I want to go wanna, saga class. You want to go saga class? Yeah. Good, can good you, luck. Can you connect me? Right. <laughs> you have to buy. You have to buy. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, from Seattle to Europe, uh, Iceland Air, like instead of going through Heathrow, Iceland Air cuts five hours off your travel time. Go up over the top. So you just go up over the top, and then you... Head down instead and go over Iceland and then all the way down to London, then all the way back up to Glasgow or Edinburgh. I'm excited. Yeah. So anyway, so that's a that's Iceland Air is a, a truly a, a, a I'm on that airline all the time. So oh, uh, today we're going to talk about Taste of Iceland 2022, an annual celebration of Icelandic culture in North America, <clears throat> concluding the series uh, the of fall festivals. Reykjavik's sister city, Seattle, is hosting the Taste of Iceland from October 6th through October 9th. Throughout the weekend, locals can transport themselves to Iceland with a series of events inspired by and in celebration of the best of Icelandic culture through food and beverage and music, design, films, art, and more. Over the course of the four-day festival and in partnership with local businesses here in Seattle, including uh, us at the Carlisle Room, KEXP, Bianco Gallery, Majestic Bay Theaters right there in Ballard, oh. the National Nordic Museum, which if you haven't been yet, spectacular so great. Yeah. over in Ballard, Life on Mars, and 210, 210 Seattle, uh, all are participating in, in these different activities celebrating Iceland. Uh, the culinary experience is offered at 95 bucks for the Carlisle Room, and in our second segment, we're kind of going to jump into that deeper but we've invited a couple of folks from Iceland. They're zooming in right now. We're talking so amazing. seven or eight hours away. Uh, we have Victor and Bjarki from Iceland. Both are you, are you guys both chefs, Victor, or just yourself? Uh, both. Both. There you go. Both chefs. So tell us about Iceland and its natural um, abundance. And, you know, I think sometimes people hear the word Iceland and they just think that it's it's covered like Antarctica, but it's not. I've flown in there many times. It's so beautiful. Many people think uh, Greenland is green and Iceland is covered <laughs> in ice. So that's a little bit mistake. Iceland is, uh, you know, it's a big country and a lot of different uh, nature wherever you go. Nice people. Nice people. Yeah, you always hear that. Super friendly. So when you fly into the airport there... Um, you're, I think the first thing that struck me is that it, there's no trees. Yeah, it's so windy, so the tree doesn't, <laughs> doesn't stay here. <laughs> no, we have, we, have a, we have some tree, but we don't have like a big uh, forest like uh, you have in uh, USA and right. in, uh, anywhere else. But like if you're driving around Iceland, sometimes you can see tree which is like a like left or right turn. That's because the wind from the mountain. So that's a little bit joke, but also truth about the tree. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's more of the tree and uh, bigger forest in the east of Iceland, east part. So they but didn't chop it's all true. the it's wood. It's not so yeah. many. Right. <laughs> and so uh, is it like Scotland when you need heat in the winter? Do you burn peat or uh, what do you burn for? I, I know there's geothermal activity, but uh, what is traditional? We just turn on the, off the oven. It's, uh, it's a water. Everything is water, hot water. So all the heating system in in Reykjavik and most of the area it's uh it's a hot it's a cold water which is heated with a 
like a steam from the ground, mm-hmm. like boiling hot steam, which which go through the pipe with cold water, and out of that come like eighty degrees Celsius water. Oh wow! So that's how we heat our houses. So yeah, and swimming pools. We have swimming pool everywhere in Iceland. So they use they they used reindeer poop before, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the natural abundance. What are you? Uh, this this now September almost October in Iceland. What are you uh, harvesting at this point, if anything, uh, getting ready for the winter? Now it's, it's, it's mostly like a game season. We are, we are, uh, but for the, like, are you talking about vegetables or stuff like that? Or? Sure. Whatever. How, how are you feeding yourself these days? And what do you serve in the restaurants? So it's, it's the same. Like, like I was talking about the, we have a so hot ground, and uh, like a like a so we have a lot of uh, greenhouses. So we make our vegetables all year round in that, like tomatoes and cucumber and stuff like that. And also the summer is getting a little bit longer. So September is actually good, and we make uh, barley and like most of the vegetables we can make here if we want. But of of course a lot of it, a lot of uh, the vegetables are imported. But we have uh, our own uh, like potato, uh, cauliflower, carrots, and like. Uh, Mm-hmm. Tomatoes, and of course, I'm sure you have the, uh, all the different uh, dairy items. Uh, that when I've been there, I've seen uh, uh, Icelandic cheese, and yogurt, uh, all sorts. Yeah, of- and the and the skier. We also, yeah, we have of course we have all the all the milk produce made made here. Uh, somebody recently gave me uh, six bottles of Olafsson gin from Iceland. Oh, I hope it's all done. It's so good. Yes, it is really, <laughs> really, really good. What about the skier? What is that? Uh, the skier is it's it's uh, it's something between cheese and yogurt. It's uh, low fat and high in protein, and this been uh, our breakfast for for years or centuries in Iceland. When I was growing up, it was uh, uh, like a, it was thicker than you can buy today in a store, and you have to add uh, sugar in it. In it. And uh, we always mix it with uh, fresh blueberries and a little bit of cream. And that's what we ate like so, uh, every day or, or many, many mornings during the week. Mm-hmm. Adding some cream. And what is it called? Skier. Skier. It's like that Norwegian. Oh, yeah. got it, got yeah. it, got it. You can get it, I think, lo- in local store in, in Seattle. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, at yeah. The, um... the other thing that's very prevalent uh, over there that I see is licorice. When did that become a staple of the Icelandic culture? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's have been there since I was, at least I, I remember me, so at least 30 years. But this is a licorice, a licorice, it's really, it's in most of our candy. We, we put it in everything. I don't know why, but it's it's really Icelandic thing. The um, have, You've never traveled around there before, have you, Bridget? No, I'm going on Tuesday, so. I'll... What uh, what would you most, if you were spending a few days in Iceland, I mean, everyone hears about the Blue Lagoon. I've never been. Uh, but what would you it's, most it's like great. to see? Right, yeah. And, well, in this past year with the James Beard Awards, there were two Icelandic cookbooks that were spectacular that were included in the book judging. Uh-huh. One was from Slipperum, I think it is, the restaurant. And I'd love to go to some of those famous Michelin restaurants in Iceland. I think it'd be so interesting. And then I wanted to go to the north coast, to the sea up there. I hear it's spectacular. Victor, do you know those books that she's talking about? The one that you, the cookbooks? 
And then the, I can't remember the name of the other book, but it was all based on fish and foraging. And so the entire book was based on fish. And it, both of them were just, they were rather esoteric, but spectacular, you know, because we just, it's so hard for us to imagine what that food is, but They've eaten such amazing cuisine out of practically nothing, which is fascinating about Icelandic cuisine. It's so delicious. About any cuisine, you don't, you know, it's so hard to realize how many things around you are edible. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that and, what Red Zeppi got famous for? And right, yeah, right, and same. And that's this big resurgence that's happening in Iceland. They're just. They're going back to their roots and just using what's on the island mm-hmm. and calling that the cuisine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's fascinating, really interesting. Uh, Victor, before we take a break, um, Bridget is really desperate to upgrade to Saga class on Tuesday. When she, <laughs> <laughs> can you send her some miles or something to, to use? <laughs> Where are you cooking right now? I have my own company. It's called uh, Lux Catering. Ah. And uh, it's a it's a catering company which uh, we serve up from from two people to two thousand or more, uh, and then we have like a, a gourmet butcher store. Oh, in the same location, lamb so and we are beef. selling Icelandic people, uh, Icelandic lamb and uh, and Delicious. beef and uh, everything to have with it. I love a gourmet butcher store. Yes, she does. (laughs) Mostly she loves a gourmet butcher. (laughs) Without his shirt on. (laughs) I can't wait to visit you. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to jump into the menu that we're serving at the Carlisle Room, uh, all based on Icelandic recipes and products. And uh, we're going to go top to bottom when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the hot stove, and we're continuing our chat with the folks from the Taste of Iceland. Just a reminder, uh, the official partners for this visit from the group from Iceland uh, are the Carlisle Room, which is our restaurant up across from the Paramount Theater, KEXP, the uh, radio station, yep. uh, Bianco Gallery, Majestic Bay Theaters, National Nordic uh, Museum over there in Ballard. It's brand new, and they have... Uh, a delicious little cafe and it's 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 a fun place to spend at least a half a day if not more and then uh, life on mars and 210 seattle are both uh, participating in this event so uh it's uh, october 6th through the 9th uh, i know of this segment we're going to focus on the carlisle room experience which is a dinner that's offered at 95 dollars uh, with an optional drink pairing for 35 bucks uh, as I said to Victor earlier, the, I just got this gin. A friend of mine sent me six bottles. I think he might be an investor or something. But oh, uh, I'll take delicious. a bottle. Can I have a yeah, bottle? Yeah, you can have a bottle. I, I sent, did I give one to you, Pam? No, Pam didn't get anything. I like that. 
Okay, so we, we're chatting with Victor Anderson, and now we're going to head over to Bjarke Snare Portkinson. That's best I could good do. Good job. That yeah. was good. Uh, Bjarke, I was looking at this menu, and um, we're starting with Icelandic lobster soup with scallops, Icelandic wasabi, and grilled onion. Do you want to take us through that dish a little bit? Uh, so, yeah, we have uh, great Icelandic scallops uh, that we hand dive in the uh, west of Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hand sear them, put them in the middle of the plate, make these nice grilled onions, put them around. And we have uh, this delicious uh, Icelandic lobster soup that yeah has been... Uh, with us for many years. So it's a kind of a traditional Icelandic dish that we have uh, upgraded. With wasabi. With Icelandic wasabi. Wasabi uh, is hard yeah, to yeah. grow. How are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, only two countries that grow the wasabi. So- Victor, uh, Bjarke is frozen up. Do you want to take on that dish or do you know about it? Yeah, yeah no problem, no problem. Right. So like you were saying, this uh, this uh, langkustin soup, it's a, it's a traditional plate in Iceland. We've been, uh, this is like a, what, when we want to have a nice time, we, we serve, we serve uh, langkustin soup and uh, grilled lamb. So we've been taking this plate and just opted it to, to like a la carte standard. Uh, the wasabi is new in Iceland. It's been here for like, uh, I think, three or four years. Uh, it's uh, made in a greenhouse oh. in, with the right, uh, ex- exactly the right uh, Ahmo to grow it. And uh, it's really, really unique and really nice thing. Lovely. Really spicy. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, we've been letting the, the people from Japan taste it. And it's really good. And they are really happy about it. I'm, uh, I can't wait to try that. Yeah. Is it like a bouillabaisse? Uh, it's not. It's uh, like a creamy bouillabaisse. Oh, a creamy. Okay, got it. Yeah, sounds great. All right. We, next dish yeah. is uh, steamed um, cod with brown butter. Champagne sauce and roasted sunchokes. What are we looking for there? Uh, so we have this uh, nice Icelandic uh, cod. It's like the fish that we eat the most in Iceland. With that, we have uh, yeah the uh, roasted sunchokes. And how are and, you? Uh, uh, champagne sauce. Are you doing your own sparkling wine on the on the uh, in Iceland, or are you bringing in champagne? So no, we'll, we'll bring it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we're going to jump right into, after that, uh, we have grilled lamb filet with baked celery, uh, grilled kale, and lamb jus. And a couple of years ago, uh, we had the lamb filet that you had, guys had brought over with you. Unbelievable. What yeah. do they feed on that makes them so luscious? So the uh, Icelandic lamb uh, lives free, so they eat what the nature gives it. So grass, moss, berries, all of that. That oh, gives it the uh, good flavor. Grass and berries uh, yeah. and moss. It's, and it's moss. like it's like pre-salé, like like salted lamb in France. So the 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 ocean it's always close by. So everything they eat it's it's full of uh, like a little bit salt from the ocean. So that's also like part of the of the uh, lamb. How good it is. Right, like the ones that from Normandy in that area of France. Where, yeah, yeah, the same. Lovely. Uh, and then uh, skier mousse with roasted oats, skier ice cream, and Icelandic crowberries. Uh, take us through that. So, yeah, like we talked about the uh, skier earlier, it's like a mix between a cheese and uh, yogurt. It's uh, a thing we have eaten forever, kind of, that's made us stay alive. Uh, so we wanted to make it a little bit sweet and do a dessert out of it with uh, the skier ice cream. And with that, the crowberries that, are, uh, that grow wild in all of Iceland, so it's just a big uh, tasting of Icelandic flavors. Is a crowberry um, very tart and small, or is it like a blueberry? Uh, so it's uh, it's quite small and uh, more tart. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, similar similar to blueberry, a little bit smaller. Yeah. Oh, interesting. 
So it sounds then like we add huckleberry. huckleberry. Yeah. Uh, and when you do roasted oats, are you just toasting them in the oven, or is it mixed with sugar and becoming crusty and crisp? Uh, we mix it with sugar and butter, and so it's crusty and uh, sweet. Mm-hmm. What are we going to drink with all this deliciousness? That's what I'm concerned about. Are we going to have a little <laughs> Olufsen martini to begin with, or what are we going to do? That's a good question. I, w- I would say Olafson Martini. That sounds good for me. <laughs> Maybe two of them. <laughs> we'll have to get one of your house ho- uh, hothouse olives to go with it. I know um, <laughs> one year, Victor, there's a, another liquor uh, that Iceland is favorite for. I want to say it was a brown liquor. Been- Bra- Brennivin. What is it? It's called Brennivin. Oh, it's an aquavit, isn't it? Could you describe yeah, it's, it? It's similar. It's it's lo- it's a like a cum- cumin flavor. Yes. Alcohol. Very exciting stuff. I've had that. When you come when you come to Iceland next week, you will have a shot of brandywine and a rotten shark. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what well, we need to hear about the rotten shark. It's famous. So, yeah, rotten shark. It's it's more like I think today more like a. But what people want to taste when they come to Iceland, I don't. It's not on my menu, <laughs> at least not one time a year. Uh, last time I tasted it was with a friend from uh, USA, so it's more like that. But also, of course, you have a lot of uh, older people living in the in the fish village around Iceland who love it. Uh, it's not my kind of thing, like I said. <laughs> Is it rotten? Uh, is it fermented? It's it's, it's fermented. And and it smell like I I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know sharks, uh, right there, they urinate through their skin, so that's why they, they tend, well they do they they, they uh, well that's just how they get rid of their their whatever. Uh, but yeah, urine, I think the piece I think. is like ten grams or something of it. <laughs> yeah, it's really small bites, and they smell like it's a, it's a whole whale. Yeah, <laughs> whole shark. A whole shark. Well, uh, I'm glad you're not bringing that with you. Uh, we have plenty of lutefisk right here in uh, Western Ballard, so we don't need any more s- smelly fish from the from that part of the world. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, Taste of Iceland is October 6th through the 9th. Uh, you can find out more about it. Of, I'm sure of tasteoficeland.com. There's a beautiful website with all the activities. Yeah. Oh, so, good. Carlisle Room, KEXP, Bianco Gallery. Majestic Bay Theaters, the Nordic National Museum, Life on Mars, and 210 Seattle are all participating. You know, when this first started 10 years ago or so, uh, it was just us. It's nice to see the whole city is kind of Involved. getting on with yeah. our sister city, Reykjavik. And, nice. and the music thing has really captured a lot of people's attention. That's why KEXP is such an important partner, because there's that Icelandic genre of music has got a strong following. I mean, it's not just Bjork. <laughs> I was just going to gonna say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Victor and Bjork, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate uh, having you here. Look forward to Taste of Iceland uh, next week. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Take care. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Thank you all for joining us today, especially our audience members. If you want to be part of our audience, go to hotstovesociety.com. You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director, and our editor is Sean. Please don't call me Del Torre. And uh, remember, if you miss any episode of Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Perfect. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Thanks, Bridget Charters, for filling in for the chef and the chapeau. Oh, my God. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Pam. <laughs> <laughs>